do keep your Bibles open uh, in front of you. It would be a great help to you and a great help to me. Uh, so that's page 411 in your Bibles, Esther chapter 3. But before we start, uh, we need to pray. This is a difficult passage. We need the Lord's help. So let's let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. We thank you that you've spoken primarily through the Lord Jesus. And we thank you that you have spoken and you speak to us today through your holy scriptures, through the Bibles that we have in our hands. Uh, we need your help. We need the Holy Spirit's help to understand what's written in, in here, in this passage. So Holy Spirit, would you help us to read? Would you help us to mark? Would you help us to learn it? And would you help us to inwardly digest what is written here? And would you lift our eyes Using this passage of scripture, would you lift our eyes to the Lord Jesus that we might see that he is greater than we have ever imagined he could be? And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Barnabas Aid wrote this on their website um, a, a week or so ago. Barnabas Aid said this, uh, a news update. At least 133 believers have been killed since the beginning of March as anti-Christian violence rages across Nigeria's middle belt. Women and children were among 33 people killed in a recent nighttime attack on the Christian community of Sankwap Runji in the Zangong Kataf local government area of Kaduna State, Nigeria. That was on the 15th of April. Many of the victims were asleep and died when the attackers set fire to more than 40 homes. A mass burial was conducted the following day by a senior church leader. That's Barnabas Aid sharing that. Open Doors, another charity that works with persecuted Christians, says this on their website. More than 360 million Christians worldwide suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. 360 million. That's a staggering one in seven believers. For many of our brothers and sisters across the world, that's a lived reality. For many of our brothers and sisters here this morning, that's a lived reality back home. That's a lived reality. Now, out of God's kindness and common grace, we don't face that sort of persecution here in the UK. But something similar, although not extreme, not as extreme, happens here too in the UK. And it looks like this. It looks like people not wanting you to be around. Teasing, snide comments directed at Christians, directed at Christianity, ignoring youth promotion, ignoring the thing that is most important to you. I think it looks like pressure to de-Christianize yourself in order to be acceptable to those around you. The world says to us, you can be a Christian, but keep it to yourself. You can be a Christian, but keep it to yourself. Just don't be a Christian in public. We don't want you here. Well, we're in Esther right now, where the story takes a sinister turn for the worse. And through this passage today that we're looking at today, the Holy Spirit shows us a little of why God's covenant people, Israelites in the Old Testament, Jews, Christians today, 
why God's covenant people are hated so much across the world. And brothers and sisters, as we look at this, I really want us to, um, I really want you to know that if you're, if you're suffering for being a Christian right now, if you're suffering in whatever way for being a Christian right now, I think this passage shows us that God sees it. God sees what you're going through. God sees the suffering that you are enduring for being a Christian. And look, as we trace the story forward in the Bible, God is going to show us, the Holy Spirit is going to show us that for the Christian, there's also reasons for a greater hope that far outweighs all that we suffer now. So we're picking up the the story here in chapter three of Esther, page 411. Please do keep it open. And we've already seen, haven't we? We've already seen that God's people are in exile in a foreign land. We've seen last week, we saw that Esther has become queen. And we've seen that God's hidden hand is at work. But as we're going to see here, things are starting to get nasty. Things are getting sinister. And we start to doubt that God's hidden hand is at work. And so the question I think that we have as we read this is, how can God's hidden hand be at work when his people are persecuted? Well, the passage we've got today has got three scenes. It's a story, and we're going to look at it like that, as uh, as if there are scenes here. And scene one is at the king's gate. It's It's verses one to six. And have a look down here. The first thing we see is that there is an ancient hatred. Have a look at chapter three, verse one with me. Chapter three, verse one says this. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. So this Haman, this character here, he's an Agagite. Now, that might not mean anything to you. Doesn't mean much to me until a few few days ago. But it's actually a really crucial detail here. You see, it reminds us of something that happened in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 15, no need to go there. But what happens there is a battle between God's people and the Amalekites. And more importantly, and more particularly, there's a showdown in 1 Samuel chapter 15 between King Saul, who was the king of the Israelites then, and the king of the Amalekites, who was called King Agag. And behind that, there is something even further back in time that kind of explains what's going on. Just after God had rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, as they were weak and vulnerable and leaving slavery, Deuteronomy chapter 25 says this. 25.17 says, remember what Amalek, the Amalekites, did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt how he attacks you on the way when you are faint and weary and cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. You see, what Haman represents here is an ancient hatred against God's covenant people. And it stems from God's great enemy, Satan himself. You see, ever since creation Satan has always been opposed to God and his people. He, that great snake, tried to snuff out God's people by causing them to rise up against God. And the hatred we see for God's covenant people across the world is not new. It's not something new. It's ancient. 
it dates back to Satan's first work in Genesis chapter 3. The story continues. So have a look down at verse 2 with me. Have a look down at verse 2. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai didn't bow down or pay homage. Now, we don't know why Mordecai didn't bow. In fact, we're not told and we don't, we're supposed to not get sidetracked by that question. The author doesn't want us to focus on whether he was right or wrong to do it. The author wants us to spot something. Mordecai did it because he was a Jew. Have a look at verse three. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day and he wouldn't listen to them, they told Haman, in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. Now, in this book, the word Jew is a religious marker rather than an ethnic one. Now, don't mishear me. Anti-Semitism is a hideous and evil thing, but that's not mainly what this book is about. The author wants us to see that as a Jew, Mordecai is one of God's covenant people, just like you, just like me. And that suddenly makes all of this very, very relevant. You see, Haman the Agagite is filled with the same ancient hatred his ancestors had towards God's people. Verse 5 continues. And when, Samon, uh, when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they had made known to him, the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. You see, it was a murderous hatred. It wasn't directed just to one man, but against all of God's people. It wasn't just an internal fury inside his heart. It was a murderous Fury. And it's completely disproportionate in that, isn't it? It's completely disproportionate. This hatred against God's covenant people is a satanic, murderous hatred. Now, in God's good kindness, because of his common grace, we don't see this God hating fury all the time everywhere. But it is happening this morning. It is happening this morning in the homelands of some of our brothers and sisters that are sitting around you. This morning, it's happening in Iran. It's happening in Nigeria. It's happening in Somalia. It's happening in South Sudan. It's happening in Pakistan. Open Doors reports that 5,621 Christians were murdered for their faith last year. This is happening today. Uh, the first conversation I did mention it earlier, the first conversation that I had with someone at GAFCON last week was with a pastor who ministers in Mozambique. His parish is surrounded by Islamists who want to snuff out the Christians there. We didn't say this, but the, the GAFCON general secretary, he's a, Niger a Nigerian man, Bishop Ben Kwashi. He ministers in Jos in northern Nigeria. His house and his church 
have been bombed. The murderous hatred continues today. And so I think, I mean, we, we need to pause right now. We need to pause and pray. So just why don't we just bow our heads for a second. I'm going to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. Our dear Father, have mercy, we pray, on our brothers and sisters today who are being persecuted today. Have mercy on them. Would you keep them safe? Would you hold them close to you? Please protect them and keep them safe. Amen. You see, it's only because of God's common grace that we don't also see that here. You see, God's common grace is his grace, his kindness towards us that we see in laws, laws that restrain violence. We see it in kindness, the kindness that people show one to the other. It's common grace that stops this from happening here in the UK. And so we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters around the world in the persecuted church. We need to pray for them. We need to be informed about them. Our God sees them. We need to see them as well. We need to see them. And we need to lobby our government to help. So uh, one really practical thing that you can take away from this is to sign up for two newsletters. Sign up for the newsletter from our mission partner, Asif, who works with persecuted Christians. And sign up for the newsletter from an organization like Open Doors. Be informed about what our brothers and sisters are going through at the moment it was a real it was a real eye-opener for me to talk with pastors of persecuted churches last week and we need to be informed we need to pray and we need to lobby our government as well be aware be prayerful be involved but you know we we also suffer to some extent not to the same extent but we all suffer from that thought that thinking that it would be better if us christians weren't around Uh, We said at the start, but that's what's going on when you're passed over for a promotion because you're a Christian. That's what's going on when jokes are made about you at your expense in the media or at the playground. That's what's going on when the media swing between ignoring or mocking Christians. When you're pressured to not be or do or say something Christian, they're using the same logic as Haman, the same logic that says, Wouldn't it be better if God's covenant people weren't around anymore? Well, that's scene one. That's scene one. Scene two is in the throne room. Have a look down at verse seven over the page. Scene two says this. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the 12th year of King Ahasuerus, they cast per, that is, they cast lots, before Haman day after day, and they cast it month after month until the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. You see, this hatred that's going on here is not just an ancient and murderous hatred. It's also a superstitious hatred. You see, Haman and his cronies, they were casting lots. They were throwing dice, superstitiously throwing dice to find a lucky day for a genocide. It's a superstitious hatred. But God's hand, his hidden hand, was a work even then. We know that because Proverbs 16 says this in verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. 
we've started to see this already in Esther. You see, the Lord placed Esther in the center of power for a time like this. The Lord made Mordecai aware of the plot against the king. And in the same way, the Lord's hidden kind and strong hand was at work even here. Even in the casting of lots, even in the throwing of dice to find the lucky day for the genocide. And as we're going to see, as we continue in Esther, his hand is hidden, but it's always at work for the good of his people, even even as Satan is seeking to stamp out God's people. You see, Jesus is on the throne even then and is working even then for the good of his people. As we'll see, he's good and kind and in control, though we don't often see what's going on. Well, the story continues. Armed with that lucky day, have a look at verse eight there. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, there is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws so that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. You see, this isn't just an ancient, murderous, superstitious hatred. It's also a deceitful hatred. You see, Haman says a truth. The, the Jews have different laws. He says a half-truth. They don't keep, keep the king's laws, but actually they do. Esther's reign as queen would not have lasted very long if she didn't keep the laws. But Haman also says an outright lie, doesn't he? Did you spot it there in verse 8? It has already been to the king's prophet to tolerate the Jews because Mordecai discovered a plot against the king and saved his life. A truth, a hard truth, an outright lie. There's also a huge amount of money that's going to be spent on this. Verse 9 talks about 10,000 talents. That doesn't mean that much to us today, but perhaps 240 million pounds does. That is the amount of money that was going to be spent on this hatred for God's people. And the king, well, the king gives the signet ring. He gives the nuclear codes to Haman, to the enemy of the Jews, to go and put this genocidal plan into action. Well, scene three, the scene changes from the throne room to the office where Haman's plan starts to be communicated. And we see here that it's a comprehensive hatred. Have a look at verse 12 to 13. Messages are to be sent to all the provinces in every language with the instruction to destroy to kill and to annihilate all Jews, all of God's covenant people, young and old, women and children in one day, and to plunder their goods. You see, this is a genocide. This is a genocide, an ancient, murderous, superstitious, deceitful, comprehensive hatred of God's covenant people. And we come back to that question again. Is God's hidden hand really at work in the face of this? Is it really at work there? Because, you know, if, if Esther is the end of the story, if Esther chapter three is the end of the story, we might as well all go home. There are better ways to spend your Sunday mornings 
if there's not more to the story than this. But gloriously, there is more to the story. Why don't you flick forwards with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 is on page 912. And have a look with me at verses 23 to 31. You see, scene four, scene four of the story happens hundreds of years later. Jesus has come, he's lived, he's died, he's risen, and he's ascended. And yet God's covenant people, the church in Acts, the early church, are still being persecuted. The apostles Peter and John had just been arrested for preaching the gospel. They had been hauled before a court and threatened to not do it again. And they leave the court and the first place they go to is the gathering place where the other early Christians were and they prayed. Have a look down at verse uh, 24 and starting halfway through verse 24, I'm just going to read out their prayer. Their prayer is this, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and this is from Psalm 2, David said this, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. That is what's going on in Esther chapter 3. That's what's going on in Esther chapter 3. Rage plots against the Lord and against his people. Verse 27 continues. For truly in this city, Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand your hidden hand and your plan had predestined, decided in advance to take place. You see, the rage and plotting we saw in Esther chapter 3 peaked on the cross. It was focused in on the cross. It was blasted down on Jesus on the cross. Jesus was killed. And that, that, that is why we don't all go home right now. You see, that ancient, murderous, superstitious, deceitful, comprehensive hatred ultimately was directed and focused on Jesus Christ. People did whatever God's hidden hand and God's plan had predestined to take place. And you see, that had been the plan all along, that Jesus would win by being persecuted, that Jesus would rescue by dying, that Jesus would crush Satan's head while Satan bit his ankle. Now, a little while before that scene, just before his crucifixion, Jesus said to his friends in John chapter 16, he said this, take heart. Take heart. I have overcome the world. And he says that to us today. He says that to our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church around the world. He says, take heart. Take heart. Take heart. I have overcome. You see, as Christians, as God's covenant people, we're not promised that we will not suffer persecution. To follow Jesus 
means to walk the path he walked and to suffer as he suffered. But we are promised that Jesus has overcome. We're promised that Jesus is holding us fast, that he's holding our brothers and sisters who are persecuting. He's holding them fast and he will guide his covenant people. He will guide his people safely, even through death itself. We mentioned Psalm 2. Well, Psalm 23 talks about how the Lord makes a table for us in the presence of our enemies. He anoints our heads with oil in the presence of our enemies. Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. You see, Haman rages and plots, but Jesus is in control. Satan rages and plots, but Jesus is in control. Governments, media, bullies may rage and plot, but Jesus is in control. You see, his hidden hands, his hidden hands are at work. His hidden hands, which bear holes from those rusty iron nails driven in by those who rage and plot. Those hidden hands are still at work today. In whatever difficult situation you're in, those loving hands are holding you up. Today, those strong hands are leading you onwards, ever onwards to that wonderful moment where those loving hidden hands will wrap their arms around you and give you the biggest hug you will ever have. You see, as sure as the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, there will come a day when he will return. And with his nail pierced hands, he's going to throw open the curtains that night might be banished forever as glorious light fills the world again. And this hatred then, this hatred that we've seen this morning, then will be gone forever. Scene five takes place in the new heavens and the new earth. Have a quick look. Actually, don't worry about it. I'll read it out to you. Revelation chapter 21, verses one to four, if you're taking notes. Revelation 21 talks of that glorious morning. I'll read it out. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And listen to this. Listen to these wonderful words here. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their gods. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Brothers and sisters, on that day, on that wonderful day, and from that day forevermore, his hands will no longer be hidden. We'll see them with our eyes. We'll see them with our eyes. And those hidden hands will, that are no longer hidden will wipe the tears away from our eyes. We will be with him. We're never going to die. Never mourn, never cry, never will we suffer. And until that glorious day, 
for us here in this hate-filled world, the Lord Jesus simply says to us and to our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world, he says this, take heart. Take heart. I've overcome. I will hold you fast. We're going to take a few moments to pray. It'd be really great if you could pray as well as for yourself, but also for our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering. And then our musicians are going to lead us in our final song. So a couple of moments of silence. What do you need to say to the Lord right now? Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We trust you. It's not easy to do when we see the hate directed against your people in the world, but we trust your hidden hands are still at work because those hidden hands were once nailed to a cross. We pray for our dear brothers and sisters who are suffering for your name across the world. Please, would you protect them? Please, would you hold them fast? Please help us here in the, the comfortable West to use whatever uh, influence we have with our government to stand up for them. We thank you for our brother Asif and for organizations like Open Doors. Would you continue to use them to protect your people? Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our final song.